Our scripture reading today is Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. I'll be reading through the New American Standard. Romans chapter 6, beginning in the first verse. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. Good morning. Uh, good to see so many people who are out today to spend time together, to sing praises to God and to, to get into his word. And uh, good to see some fresh faces as well. Always appreciate um, people who are willing here to be here to seek God. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today is how to help seekers. Um, we're going to be going through uh, a study and I'm going to be turning along in my Bible. I'm using an ESV, but turn, turn along with what you've got because we are seekers of the word. But we also want to be guides as those who have sought and gone into the word that we can, we can teach others about that. And so this is uh, the fifth lesson that I've, um, that I've brought to us um, that is intended to empower us to help us to teach someone about how to, to get the gift that God has given. And we're going to be talking about a whole lesson on, on baptism, why it is and, and what it is, uh, or why it's important and what it is. And just as a bit of review um, to how we got here, we first talked about how the Bible is God's word. It is our standard. Uh, we submit to it. It is how we know God, and it, and it is how we will ultimately be judged. So it's pretty important. Uh, we next talked about the, the big picture of the Bible or the story of the Bible, which gives context to everything that you see in this book. And that is that sin separates us from God. But he wants to be united with us, so he sent his son so that we can be united with him in eternal life. And we talked about some of the impediments towards receiving Jesus as the way. We talked about what is not enough to be saved. The problem is that when you teach the word and you talk about the word, there's a lot of other ideas that are already that people already have that you have to work around. But we want to know that Christ is the only way to the Father, that Christ is the only way to life, and, and therefore that is a key to accepting the gifts that we have. The last lesson we talked about is, is the way to get into Christ, because we want to receive that gift. And it's clearly defined as in Scripture, and it is, it is the only way. We refer to these sometimes as the steps of salvation, and they're the steps that we take to receive salvation and the steps that we keep taking as those who are saved. And each step is important. But I decided to, well, to, to stop and to look at this idea of baptism because I think it's the, the one that is, is the most confused. It's the one that there's a lot of uh, misconceptions about. People have heard of um, the, the, the sinner's prayer. Just say this thing and you're saved. Even in some Bibles, on, on, in, in, in like the cover, it's like, just say this thing and you'll be saved. It's as simple as that. Um, except Jesus is your personal savior. All it is is a choice that you make without following up with anything else. 
But baptism is something that, that there is a lot of confusion about, but it's also something that has great value. And even those of us who have already received that gift, it, it is a value to, for us to understand it. Um, it, the value of it, it just cannot be overstated. So it, it's worth for us to take, take some time and, and to look into it. So for a moment, I want to talk about um, why we do it. And then I'm going to talk about what it is, because the scripture does really point out some of the things that are really important um, and that, that we can understand. Our first uh, scripture we're going to go to is in Matthew chapter 28. And... In Matthew chapter 28, it's the conclusion of, of Christ's ministry. It's the conclusion of what he came to do, which was to teach people about God and to help them to be saved. Uh, through his and God's work, that is where most of that, that work is done. He did hand that off to his disciples, though. He handed it off to, for his disciples to continue his work. Without the disciples, we wouldn't have been taught. We've been taught by disciples of disciples of disciples of disciples of people who wanted to teach people about God and help them to be saved. But Jesus, before he left the earth, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. To the end of the age. So it's something that was commanded by Christ. That baptizing is part of being and making disciples. To continue that, that lineage of discipleship, of following Christ and receiving the gift of, that he's given us. Getting into Christ, he clearly states, is something that, that must be done. When you make a, a disciple and someone wants to follow me, you baptize them. You baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's often why when we, we baptize someone, they're like, I, you, I've received your confession, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is the, what gives that act of immersion its power. It's commanded by Christ. So this is one of kind of, these two passages are kind of general passages. Like I said, I would, in a way I'd say if I only had two, I might go to these. Because it's something that, that is commanded, and it's something that we... we um, we, we can just understand that it's something that, that must be done. In 1 Corinthians, in chapter 2, he's going to continue to, to use a little bit of this language that describes that it is uh, an entrance, that it is something that must be done in order to receive something. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 and 13, he says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all are made to drink of one spirit. And as you look at a lot of the New Testament scriptures, Paul spends a lot of time helping us to understand that our position in Christ is what allows us to receive the gift of salvation. It's what helps us to, to not be that, that dead person, but to be the new person. And so how do we get into this body? And the body that he's also referring to is, is this body, this group of believers. The entrance happens when we are uh, baptized into the body. It is in that act of baptism that you enter that body. So it is that that, that act performs another act. It's not something that is just something that is done and then it's a, a sign. 
It is something that has an effect. And both of these things show that. They have an effect and they lead us to something. So these are some kind of, I guess, some general ones that, that we need to obey that, but understand that it, it is something that, that causes something. But I think that the scriptures are going to show us also that we can understand what is baptism. It is more than getting in water. And there may be more to it. Um, I won't claim to have found the bottom of that well of understanding, but there are some things that are clearly stated and paint a picture for what it is and why it is important. So we're going to look at, at those three things. The first one is that it is a burial. And we, uh, Nick read for us in Romans chapter 6, but let's go there again. Romans chapter 6 is, is also, like I said, if I had to just pick a couple of them, this, this would definitely be one of them because it describes in the context of being someone who, who follows after God, who, who is receiving that gift, what role Romans plays. Or excuse me, what role baptism plays while I'm looking for Romans. Uh, Romans chapter 6. And it's interesting here that it begins with this understanding that, that those of you who have been given this gift, it, it's a challenge to them. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Because we are in this understanding that, that God's grace is good and he's pouring it out and we want to receive it. But should we continue to sin so that grace may abound? Is that not a good thing? He says, by no means. How can you who died to, to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism and death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we had been united with him in death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For no one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. You see, our, our sin was defining what the old person was. We were a sinner. We were dead in our sins. We kind of talked about that in our, our lesson that was the story of the Bible. And we want to put that person away, that old person. But what do you do with something that is dead? You bury it. It's the appropriate thing to do. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, we also share in that burial. But then we rise up to walk in a new life. We don't continue in sin. And it's not that we become perfect, but sin is overcome. And our sin is overcome because of Christ's burial and his resurrection. So we want to share in that. We are no longer defined by our sin. And the question comes to mind is, is, when does your Christian life begin? When do you become a Christian? You can point to it. It is when you come out of the watery grave as a new person. I even have a, a handy uh, picture here. In the top picture, you see that Jesus died on the cross. He was buried into the ground, and he was resurrected. This is described in Romans chapter 6. Similarly, we, though Christ was not a sinner... He got the punishment that we received so that we could get the, the gifts that he earned. But 
we put that old man on the cross. It's described here as putting that old man on the cross so that he might die. That old man is buried in the act of baptism, and we rise up to walk in a newness of life. We can understand that, but it also gives us something that, that we as humans just need. God made us, and God started everything by starting everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was nothing before that. We operate and think and function with the idea of time. And this is the moment that we can point to our old man dying and our new man living. Our new person is rising up to walk in the newness of life. It is in the moment of baptism. And that is what Romans chapter 6 is describing. But it's also just one, I like that this, this, this has two different pictures here because we are sharing in what Christ did. We cannot earn this baptism. We cannot just say, I'm going to put away that old man and I'm going to start something new. And I'm going to do it my way or I'm just going to do it by getting wet. It is something that has been described and echoed and led by Christ. We get to share in what he has done. And that's incredible. But it does take an action. It does take an intention for us to share that. Let's go back and I, I do want to look at a couple of verses that also surround this a little bit. Colossians has some more of this, um, this burial language. I think it's really interesting to, to note, or well, to come at it from a different side here. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 through 15, um, and, and this, you know, again, is, is a study, if, if someone, depending on their, their context, they may not know anything about the Jews, but, but God told the Jewish males to be circumcised on the eighth day after their birth. And this was a primary identifying characteristic of being one of God's special people. And, and they could prove that identity. It was something that was physical. It was something that you could point to. It, it, it was something that was something that they knew set them apart. And that, that's a bit of the context for this. But in Romans chapter 2, 11 through 15, it says, In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him, in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of the flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. I like in here the number of times it says with him. You know, Christ did this thing, and it describes by God's power these things happened and that we get to share in Christ. And it also points out that we get to share in his victory here. That the things, the, the debt that we had was nailed to the cross in this moment, in this action of baptism. When that old man dies and is buried that's when that, the sins and that debt is nailed to the cross. But then it's beautiful, though, that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. He wants us also with him to share in his triumph. And that is that, is that moment of coming out of the water is, it is triumph. I mean, it's not the end of the story, but, but it, is, it is triumph. It is get that moment where we come into contact with what Christ did. 
where we physically and mentally and spiritually get to share in the goodness of what Christ did. You're made alive. And if we don't feel a joy in that moment, if we don't, then we don't understand what it is that we're doing. Also, the next couple of verses here point towards the idea of being born again. They're going to elucidate on that a little bit. Uh, there's some, some pointing towards that. Uh, so we're going to go to John chapter 3, verse 1 through 7, in the last scriptures where it talks to rise up and walk in a newness of life. But this isn't something that was just... Uh, you know, from the author of Romans and Colossians. It's always nice to, to get to the words of Jesus if we can, but it also describes well. And here's in the story of Nicodemus, John chapter 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? How can, a, how can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And this is something that, that again, is, is for us to understand that these things that, that God has done is to help us to understand and go beyond that which we would understand. Because this is a great question. How can I be born again? There's only one being born that I know of, and it is this thing. But Jesus says, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel when I say to you that you must be born again. If you are going to receive and enter in the kingdom of God, you must be born again. You must begin to have a new life. And he says that you, he, Christ is pointing ahead to this picture, that the, the death is... Uh, he doesn't point to the death here, but he, he points to the second part, that a man must be born again. And again, it's only by one man dies, dying and another rising, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Because to Nicodemus, it was, how can, how can I be born again? I, I exist. Well, it's something that he's not explaining, but he's pointing to inside of describing is, you will not exist. This part of you, this man that you are now, he is going to be buried then you will be born again. That is the only way that you can be born again. A man that exists cannot be born again. You will be a new man. That's what he's pointing to. And then in Galatians chapter 3, one more verse on this, this concept is an understanding what goes along with this idea of being born again. Because it's like, ah, oh, being born again, do I need to learn to walk again? Do I need to? You're going to need to learn a lot of things again. But it's, it is not a challenge, it is a blessing. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 29, it tells us how it is or what goes along with that. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ and put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offering, heirs according to promise. So you're born again you still have your old parents, okay? But now you get to be a child of God. And that's incredible. Now you get to be a child of God through faith. And a lot of those things, those identifiers that, that were part of who you were before, that you were Jew or Greek, that you are male or female, all of those things, those are not what's preeminent. 
Now what is most important is that you are a child of God. We are all children of God in, in, in this room. Having, if we have received the gifts that he has offered us, if we have received that gift of baptism, and that unites us, male or female, you know, uh, Gentile, Jew, the different things in our life, those things are fine, those things are real, but they're so far down the list because we are children of God. We are united, we are brothers and sisters, we are family. That ought to define who we are because we are those who have been buried so that we can be born, to, to live and to walk in the way that he would have us to. So that is one part of why uh, baptism is so important. It is something that is spiritually and, and, and coming into contact with the gift that, that Christ showed us and gave us so that we could be buried, share in his glory, his victory, and that we could become children of God. We're also going to see that it is a washing. We're going to go to uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. And when you go to 1 Peter chapter 3, it's pointing back to Genesis chapter 6, which you might, might want to, to note or, or be aware of that in Genesis chapter 6, that the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. But when you go to 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal, appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So God looked at the earth and saw that it was nothing but sin, that man had chosen to reject God, that man was going down a path of destruction or, or of self-destruction. And he decided that it needed to be washed away. Only Noah and his family found favor in his eyes. So God revealed that Noah would pass through the waters instead of being swept away by them. And remember when we talked about the problem of sin and how it made us dead spiritually, it separates us from God. He is the source of life. Well, spiritually speaking, we can understand that sin, that which we have done, has, has stained. Your soul has polluted your life. And that needs to be washed away. And in the burial image, you see that that, that old man died. But it's also want to understand this picture, which is that that part of us that, is, that, that continues on does need to be washed away because while that old man is die, dies mentally, and uh, our soul continues. Our soul is eternal, and our soul does need to be washed. And here, and he describes it in, in 1 Peter 3, it says, Baptism now saves you in a similar way of being brought safely through water. And, like, and, and you think, well, is it, is it describing washing here? It is describing washing because Noah was brought safely through the water. Everything else was washed away. That part of, that Noah had that said, I will follow you, God, that was brought through. Everything else, all the sin, all the suffering, all the, the abomination, all the, the, the things that men were doing wrong was washed away. And that is what we get to understand and take part in that it is a washing for us. Paul explains also that becoming a Christian, when he became a Christian, and Paul had an experience. In Acts chapter 22, he's going to describe it. 
Um, and you can go to his actual account, but in Acts chapter 22, the words that he used are very clear. At, at what he needed to do to be saved. And, and he was one who, on the road, saw Jesus himself speak to him. And he spent time being blind. He spent time in, in thought. He spent time thinking about what he had done and who he was going to be. Yet, it required Ananias coming and teaching him and telling him what he needed to do. And in verse 16, Ananias says to him, And now, why do you wait? God has called you. You wish to receive his call. So, and now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. These things are tied. You can't separate them. Rise, be baptized, so that your sins will be washed away. Do we want our sins washed away? Yes, we do. And, and, and we, we glory in that, that fact, that our sins get to be washed away. Baptism, baptism is, is the act, and, and it is the, the moment of that. So, we also understand that you don't... Well, we'll get, we'll get into some more of the timing as we conclude, but... The, the washing needs to be done to something that is dirty. You do not wash something that, that is already clean. The one other image or this understanding that we get to look through is that baptism is a new beginning. And this whole thing is uh, not um, self-evident, okay? Baptism is something that, that even as he's describing it, this burial or describing this washing, it's like, okay, we're understanding this. But God liked to give people clues so that they might understand them. And he, he, he explains that and says it explicitly. I believe 1 Corinthians 10 says that the things that happened in the Old Testament were happened so that you might understand Christ. He gave us a lot of examples, if we are willing to see them, for how baptism leads to a new beginning. Okay, and we looked a little bit in Genesis chapter 6, that the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great, and on that intention of the heart was only to do evil continually. But in verse 17 and 18 of Genesis chapter 6, it says, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. So he's describing that washing away. Everything that is on earth will die. But I will establish a covenant with you, and you will come into the ark, you and your sons, and your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Everything that was will be gone. Everything will be new again, and we will have a new covenant. We're going to start things over. We're going to start from scratch. And so the entire world passed through the water. The entire world was baptized so that something might new might, might happen, might begin. The next one I'm going to look at is in is Exodus chapter 6, and, and this one uh, we'll spend just a bit more time on because it is one that I... It just, it, just has, it just has layers, and it's just powerful to, to understand and look at the Israelites' redemption story and help us to understand our redemption story. But if, if, if you look at, in, in, before this point in Exodus, you see the Israelites are suffering. Okay? They are ones who are slaves, and they are ones who are, are, are made miserable, that they are treated poorly, that the, the uh, Egyptians made them into a miserable people. They're going to forget that later. But in Genesis chapter 6, um, 
and in verse 6, where am I going? It says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. So he's pointing to something. In Exodus chapter 6, he is speaking to the people and saying, I am going to do this thing for you. I am going to free you. I am going to change your status and your state. I am going to redeem you, and I'm going to do it with great acts. I will deliver you out of slavery. I will redeem you. Okay, then we go to Exodus chapter 14. And the chapters in between are incredible. They show us God's power. They show him um, overcoming the greatest things that, that men could come up with, the greatest society and civilization to that point, and, and humbling it. And, and showing his power and his goodness and his love. Yet the people are not yet redeemed. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 21, we see, And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand, and on their left. So the, the people get to go through the waters. The context of this is that they have left this land of Egypt of slavery, but they are not yet a free people because the army of the Egyptians is right on their heels. And this army is large enough and powerful enough to destroy them. And they even come to the point where there is nowhere else for them to go. They come, and, and this water looks like an obstacle, one they cannot pass. So they're going to be destroyed by all those destructive things, by that slavery, by those sources of suffering that defined them for so long. And they're to this water, and they think, this is where we're going to die. And they, they say so. But God had another plan, and he brought them through the water. Not over the water. You know, he could have brought up dry land, you know, and they could have walked across the water like Jesus did. He could pick your miracle. He could have led them a different way, but he wanted to bring them to this point so that he could bring them through the water. And down in verse 28 of chapter 14 of Exodus, it says, The waters returned and covered all the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. These People who wanted to enslave them and to, to, to keep them in their old way of being are washed away here. Baptism is a washing. Not one of them remained, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, and the waters being a wall of them on their right hand and on their left. And the next verse, let's go verse 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. That is the day of their salvation. It was not in any of the acts before that that led to their salvation. It was them passing through the water. And in chapter 15, verse 13, it says, and this is the song of Moses, he says that you have led, your you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. In chapter 6, it said, God speaking to them, hey, I'm going to redeem you. 
They go through the water. The water causes Moses to write a song. And the water says, and in that song he says, we have been redeemed. The moment of their redemption is that passing through the water. The moment of their salvation is passing through that water. The moment of. That's a key thing to understand here. There needs to be a moment. The next verses are, are worth noting, I think, because it shows a, again, a, a symmetry, examples. I'm not going to turn to Joshua, but Joshua chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. The Israelites have wandered through the wilderness for 40 years, um, learning things they needed to learn, going towards the promised land. And then what happens when they get to the promised land? I, I'll tell you, the best route, I always wondered why they're going this route. Because you go to the promised land, it's just right on in. They go the long way around. They come from the east. Why do they come from the east? So that they can cross the Jordan. And the language here is that, that God shows them, tells them that they're going to cross the Jordan. They do it in a miraculous way. They walk with the Ark of the Covenant and Joshua, and the, the Jordan stops, and it just stops, and they, they're going to walk through on dry land again. That they're going to pass through water, because before that, they were wanderers. They were homeless people. But then they crossed through the Jordan. They were receivers of the promise of God. They were home. And that was something that changed their identity. It was a new beginning for them. And even in that, that Exodus story, though, um, it always refers to, interestingly, before, that, before the, Exodus 14, that they are the, the people of Israel. They're the descendants of Israel, because Israel was a guy, right? He was Jacob. They are the descendants of Israel. But after chapter 15, they're always called, or not always, but they, they, are, they begin to be called the congregation. They, they begin to be called an organized group of people for a common purpose, is what that word means. They are now somebody who are not just a, a, a group of people, they have a new identity. They are united because of their, their baptism, that they are now new. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, is Christ's baptism. We're like, well, hold on a second, though. Isn't baptism something that is a washing? Isn't baptism um, something that, that is for sinners? Why, why is it that, that baptism would be something that, that Jesus did? Well, before this part of the story, and again, burial to be alive is not something that, that, that we're looking at here. Before this part, Jesus had... We saw the genealogy. We saw some of his infancy. We even get a story about his temple trip. But then he is going to begin something new. And that beginning begins with his baptism. And, and if, you, if you do go to Matthew chapter 3, it, it goes and it shows, that it's really not Matthew chapter 3, but it's the, it's the next chapter, that what happens after the baptism, he goes and he's tempted to complete this, this beginning of something new. I am now taking on my mantle and my role as the Messiah. The things that I am here to do, I am going to begin to do. And in the next chapter, chapter four, suddenly he is beginning his ministry. He's teaching, he's healing. He is, uh, and in verse, chapter four, verse 17, it says, from that time he began to preach. He, in the next chapter, he's calling followers. He's doing the things that he came to do, teaching people about God, teaching them about what they need to do to be saved. It all begins here from his moment of baptism. And in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it describes that the, the, the beginning of the church. Before that, they were, the church was not here. The church had not began. God had done his work. Christ had done his work. 
but it was when 3,000 souls chose to be baptized, to be immersed, that the church begins. And it describes them in, in the verses following there that they are a new people. They're sharing everything that they have. They're studying. They're focusing on God. Their lives are different because of the gift that they have received. So there's this symmetry. There's this, this, these examples that show that baptism is the start of something new. Again, that kind of points back. These, all three of these things are, are tied to, together, connected together, that burial of one, and then rising up to walk in a newness of life. But, but people will say, but, but what about? And there are, there are objections to baptism, and, and that may even warrant a, a whole lesson to kind of look at that. But I didn't want to look at what it, baptism isn't. I wanted to look at what it is. And this is what it is, and this is empowering, and this is exciting for people who have received it. But the one, one objection I will touch on is that, that the main thing that people say is that baptism is symbolic, that it is, it is not required. And I was saved, and then I was baptized to show what happened. And if that baptism is, is immersion, or if that is sprinkling, or whatever it might be, you know, I was saved, and then I was baptized. But then I would point back to these ideas that we've looked at here. What is baptism? Okay. If it's a burial, we don't bury things that are alive. If you are made alive and a new man, then why would you be baptized? If, if, we, were, if we were received Christ and then our sins were washed away and we're now clean, why are we being immersed? What is being washed away? You see, the timing matters. Was the new beginning that we took on when one first believed? Was Noah saved when he cut down the first tree? Were the Israelites saved when they put the blood on the lintel? An act of faith that would have had what Moses said happened, not happened, would have pointed them out to, to all the people around them as targets. But they put the blood of the lintel. They sacrificed the lamb, even. Put the blood of the lintel. Was that when they were saved from the Egyptian army? Were the Israelites home when they crossed into the, before they crossed into the promised land? Even though they were God's chosen people. They were not home. They had not received what had been given to them. Baptism is the moment. In time, when one buries the old sinner, when one is born again into a new life, when their sins are washed away, when they begin to be a Christian disciple as a part of the body of Christ. It is, it is the moment. And people will try to separate those things. Well, you know, Christ, or, or John the Baptist said, I am baptizing you with water, but one will come who will baptize you with the Spirit. Okay, and, and, and there is this idea that, in Ephesians, it says that there is one faith, one baptism. Those two things are the same. You don't get to, to actually separate them. People say, well, I, was, I, was, I experienced this thing spiritually, and now I'm going to experience it physically. It's, they're, they're, they are one. It, it, you're making it much more complicated than it needs to be. It's when you come to the scripture with preconceptions about how one is saved that you can twist the simplicity of, of how we are saved. Um, th these, are the, these are the scriptures that I cut down to. <laughs> You know, we could, we could spend another hour here looking at different scriptures that, that point us towards baptism. And if someone is really pushing against this, then I would, I would point to these. And we're not going to do these. But baptism in action, 
In, in the book of Acts, it shows how people get saved, how people are want to hear about Jesus. They hear Christ and him crucified, and they go, what do we do? Let me tell you about that. And, and it's kind of an easy thing to do where if you put, you know, we, we know Acts 2.38, hopefully. That's, that's where it starts. And then you can just put in your margin, if, it, depending on how, if, if you like to, to write or not, you can, you can put the next one in. I go, to, I go to Acts chapter 8. I turn to Acts chapter 8, and we're going to look at that guy. And then I'm going to turn to Acts chapter, well, continue in 8, but write down the next one in the margin. You can go through these nine examples, which are not the only examples, but these are great examples to show that all of these people, in order to be saved, needed to be baptized. It is, and there's something simple in getting to see this. So, and there's a lot of things as you would go through here. You would note the Philippian jailer and these other people. They were baptized in the same hour of the night. That in every one of these situations, they, were, they didn't believe and go rejoicing on their way. They received, they were baptized, they went rejoicing on their way to receive the gifts that were given. So, hopefully this is something that, that empowers us as we are those who would be ones who would make disciples. Who would be the ones who are seeking the word and want to share the word. But it also, for me, in this study, it was just made me grateful for, for the gift that was given for me and helped me to recognize that, that I was one who needed to start new, who needed to be washed, who needed to be buried with Christ, and needs to continue as one who has been washed, to continue as one who has been buried, and I want to not be that old man. That old man was nailed on the cross and he was buried. I don't want to join him. I don't want to be like him anymore. I want to be like this new man that, that, that God has pointed me towards. I want to continue the beginning that happened to me on that excellent, good, and glorious day when I was baptized, when I received the gift. Again, it's not a work in that it is something that you earn. It is not a work that you get payment for, but it is a, a, an action that you take and an act of obedience. I would also just point out in, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that is, if we are people who have been baptized, but if we are people who have sinned, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here, this idea of cleansing continues, that those who have been baptized can be cleansed of that which has taken hold of our life. And so I'd ask brothers and sisters if, if the things of the old way, if that old man is creeping into your life, that it is taking control of you in any way, then we are here to help you, to help you get back on track, to put our arms around you, to tell you we love you, to help you to ask God for forgiveness. Help him, let him cleanse you of all that unrighteousness. And if you want to hear more about these steps, to hear these steps of salvation, to receive the greatest gift you can ever have that is given through us through the act of baptism, we would love to help you with that. Uh, come forward now, please, while we stand.